Let's pray before we turn to God's word. Lord, we thank you that you are our living hope. We thank you for what you were willing to do to come down, become a, a human being, and just go to the cross for us. So, Father, we, and Lord, we ask that you'd open our eyes to the truths in your word, help us to become better people, help us to be able to reach people with your gospel message, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Christopher Edwards was graduated from Yale University in the early summer of 1975. He enrolled at Berkeley with plans to pursue a master's degree. While there, he was approached by a stranger who offered him an alleged fun weekend at a local farm. What he didn't realize was that it was a front for the Sun Myung Moon's Unification Church in Berkeley. He went, and that fun weekend turned into seven and a half months of maddening brainwashing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christopher was changed from a clear-thinking, brilliant, astute individual into a completely subservient disciple of his new Messiah. And in his own words, he says, he was dependent on his leaders for every move, ready and willing to die or even kill to restore the world under the absolute rule of Reverend Moon. He was kidnapped by his father and a team of trained professionals in January of 76. And not until he went through a full year of deprogramming and therapy under the direction of a specialist in cult-related problems did Christopher Edwards gain mastery over what he called months of madness. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wrote a book called Crazy for God about his extraordinary experience. Now, Sun Myung Moon was the founder of a religion that is called the Unification Movement. And he offered a unique theology, if you want to call it that, called the Divine Principle, wherein he wrote new interpretations of the Bible. And they became the scriptures for the Unification Church. And Reverend Moon said that when he was 15 years old, Jesus anointed him <clears throat> excuse me, to carry out his, Jesus' unfinished business by becoming apparent to all humanity. Doesn't have too high of a view of himself, does he? <laughs> His wife, Han, became the true mother of all humanity. And she and Moon together became the true parents of all humanity. And he said that Jesus was actually supposed to be the second Adam who would create the perfect family by joining with the ideal wife and creating this pure family. And that would have begun uh, humanity's liberation from its sinful condition. That was the original plan. But since Jesus was crucified before he married, his redemption 
was spiritually beneficial to mankind, but it did not cure mankind physically. So that task was left to the true parents, Moon and Han, who then would link married couples and their families to God through special wedding ceremonies. And the Unification Church is known for its special wedding ceremonies, special blessings. And in his bio, it says that when Reverend Moon was a child, his parents converted to Christianity. <clears throat> and the Unification Church today is said to have between one and two million members. Now, this Unification Church of between one and two million members is just one small example of false teachings that take people captive. And the Apostle Peter in his day warned his people, his followers, of false teachers who would come into their church and secretly introduce destructive heresies, destructive false teachings. One was that Reverend Move taught that Jesus was divine, but not deity. Divine is just kind of like heavenly beings, angels and, and different created beings that God that were in the heavenlies that God had made deity the word means God <clears throat> so when you take the deity out of Christ you've emptied the gospel the saving part of the gospel message Jesus Christ has to be the son of God and as the son of God he is of the same nature as God just like a human is the same nature as their parents. So it's a false teaching that leads to destruction. That leads a person away from salvation. And Peter also said that when these false teachers <clears throat> worm their way into the church, they come in as authoritative experts and they lead many people not only to false doctrine or false beliefs against the Bible but they also lead them into depraved conduct, sexual immorality. And they do it as part of as their worship of God or that it's okay with God. And they are acts that destroy the witness of the church, the testimony of the church that we are supposed to present to people outside the church. Now, we know that ultimately, even though all these things come from people, we know ultimately they come from Satan. He, he proposes or he engineers these uh, heresies and brings them to people. And Peter says that these false teachers, in their greed, they exploit these gullible church people with fanciful stories, amazing feats of what they have done you know, as ministers of God and even miracles from God. And they take these recent converts who are susceptible to this, and they take them on a joyride of false beliefs and sinful living, and they become wealthy off of these young believers, recent believers, who are easily led. And that's what Peter's warning his disciples about. And that's why in chapter 1 of 2 Peter that we've been going through, he tells his people Go deep into your faith. Make every effort to confirm your election. 
Make every effort to live into your salvation, to get to know God better, to de develop a relationship with Him through His Word and through prayer. And He wants them to do that and other things, fellowship, <clears throat> service, so that no cleverly deceptive false teacher can come and take them captive. That's what He's trying to guard them against. Don't let anybody come in and take you captive. Go deep in your knowledge with God. Go closer in your relationship to God. And make your faith strong, he says. Add to your faith things such as goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and love. Confirm your calling. Confirm your election. He says, that way you won't stumble but you will be richly welcomed in to the future kingdom of Christ, the eternal kingdom of Christ. He wants to get them to the eternal kingdom of Christ. So Peter is really concerned for his people's safety as he is aware of these false teachers who are out to take captives. And it just seems like it's in every church that these false teachers come in. <clears throat> and it is amazing to me how many people will fall prey to those who set these traps. I mean, I've heard some of the wildest stories of Christians saying, what do you think of this? I go, I think nothing of that. I mean, they're just, they're just wild stories. But then Peter gives some very encouraging news. You might want to call it encouraging. He says that these false teachers who are setting these traps for these unsuspecting victims at the same time as they're setting these traps for others, they're also setting a trap for themselves of sudden destruction from God. It doesn't mean it's going to happen as soon as they do something wrong, but in God's perfect timing, He will unleash His, His righteous wrath on those who lead others astray. And Peter says... If you don't believe me, just think back. He did it to the angels who rebelled at the beginning. He did it to the wicked people of Noah's day. And he did it to the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah, where he burned their cities to a crisp. And not only did God punish the wicked with severe judgment, but as he was destroying the wicked, he was also rescuing the faithful. When he judged the angels way at, towards the beginning, he saved those who did not rebel. When he judged the world with the flood, he saved Noah and his family. And when he burned down the cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, he saved Lot and his daughters. His wife could have been saved, but she just stopped and hesitated. <clears throat> so then, Peter says... In chapter 2, and verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> he says, If this is so, and he's talking about God judging the wicked and saving the righteous, he goes, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. He can do that. He can judge the sinners and rescue the, the ones who are connected to him, who are faithful to him. 
And he says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. And in that, he's talking about these false teachers. They follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and they despise authority. Uh, In these next verses, Peter's going to tell us what kind of people these false teachers really are. Because people see them, I mean, people that are taken in by them see them as people that care for them, people that have all this authority. They're probably winsome people. Uh, They know how to gather a crowd. And as we look at this now, in these next verses, we want to make certain, first of all, that we don't fall into any of these attitudes that these false teachers have. Because he's going to expose who they really are. And then we're going to see why it's so important that we keep confirming our calling and election. That we keep growing into our faith. And don't just, I believe in Jesus, then go on and do whatever you want. It's we have to live into our faith if we want to be safe. So we're going to be looking in the next few verses. Here's the rest of verse 10. We'll go on the beginning of verse 13. He's talking about these false teachers. And he says, bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. And he's talking about the way that they will will, uh, blaspheme them and, and talk bad of them. <clears throat> Yet even angels, he's talking about the good angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people, these false teachers, they blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct. Born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. And he's talking about these false teachers being amazingly arrogant. They blaspheme or curse celestial beings. We're talking about the spirit world. You know, you have angels in the spirit world or in the heavenlies. And you have other creatures that God has created that sometimes in the Bible you run into these, these words for these creatures. <clears throat> but they're like heavenly creatures, not earthly. And Peter is saying that these false teachers, they really don't understand their place. They are slinging curses at beings that they have no business blaspheming. They're playing way out of their league. And in fact, he says... God's holy angels who are stronger than these these ones who have rebelled and are sent to deliver God's judgment to them, they don't even curse them. They don't even say bad things about them. They just take care of what their business is with them. They bring the judgment and they let God take care of it. And they're more powerful. They know their place. The good angels know their place. Peter says the false teachers actually think more on the brute level of an animal. They don't even operate with basic understanding. They know nothing of what they are doing. Now, here's the way I see it. You know, we are earthlings. 
and our realm is the earth. We are higher in status than the animal world, who we share the earth with, but we are lower in status than the spirit world. We are made a little lower than the angels. Now, some of that will change as we are redeemed, fully redeemed. But right now, it isn't within our authority to curse or judge the spirit world, even the evil ones. And Peter says, even the more powerful good angels don't heap abuse on these beings. The point is, these false teachers, they have no reasonable measure of proper humility. And you know, I have seen some religious leaders become pretty emotional and authoritative in their prayers against Satan and against demons. And I've even seen them stomp on Satan's head. And the people listening in the auditorium, they get pretty worked up about that. But I'm not so certain that that's our privilege or our right as people of the earth to condemn or blaspheme against spiritual beings. But I want to go on as Peter continues to describe the character of the false teachers in these next few verses. The rest of verse 13 says, he's talking about the false teachers still. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. It's like children of of a curse. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now you can see that the problem is not just that these teachers have wrong information or that they're uh, misinterpreting something out of the scriptures because they don't have the knowledge, he can see from his, uh, his explanation, his description, that they're just rotten to the core. They have evil intentions right off the bat. And they're out to use people. And they're completely self-centered. Peter says, they carouse in the broad daylight. And what he's referring to, basically, is that people will usually wait, those who carouse will wait till the nighttime because they want to do things in the dark. These people are are drinking, partying, chasing during the daylight. They're not worried about what people think. They have no qualms about taking part in the Lord's Supper and then going back into the wild parties. Go to church, act holy, leave church, get wild. Totally unashamed, disrespectful towards the things of God. And he's already called them creatures of instinct. Like, they just operate like animals off of just instinct, not really thinking things through. And if they want it, they just take it. No qualms. You know, it, it reminds me, recently I've seen some of those uh, video clips of the Serengeti or the jungle where animals go after their food 
with other animals. <clears throat> and some of you may have seen things like this, but you know, you have this, these lions, several lions, and they're watching a buffalo herd go by, and they're picking out breakfast or lunch or whatever it is, and they start going after, and <clears throat> they'll go after the last one or the slowest one or the weakest one, and one or two of them will go after them, and if the herd turns back, they just stop because if the herd comes with the buffalo comes with its horns, this line will, will go back. But they're not embarrassed about it. And they're not even scared. They just don't want to get horned, you know. So they go they run back, and then as soon as the, the herd goes back again, they, they chase after again. And that happens for several times until they finally get one, two or three get one, and are able to to uh get their claws into him, stop him, and try and knock him down. <clears throat> now, if one of the buffalo come back and try to help, they may, they may back off again. But after a while, they'll get one down, two or three will, and then the herd just kind of stands there and they don't know what to do. And then right in front of them, they'll be just clawing and tearing him apart and eating him. They're not embarrassed at all. And that's what animals do, Right? That's just the way that they think. They need food. They go after this, this buffalo out of this herd. That's their breakfast. That's their lunch. And Peter is saying about these false teachers, they're creatures of instinct. They act like animals. And he says they pursue the unstable with eyes full of adultery. So they have their eyes on certain women that they think that are unstable, that they can talk into things that they want to do with them. They are experts in greed. Now, you know, when he says <clears throat> experts in greed, uh, that means they are practiced. They've trained themselves in greed, like a professional athlete. But instead of into athletics or something you know, useful, they've been training themselves in greed, their practice, they've gained some skills, they've become proficient in pursuing riches, and often is at the, at the uh, expense of somebody else. He says they've chosen the way of Balaam. You know, Balaam was the one <clears throat> who was asked to pronounce a curse on the Israelites as they were moving. You know, their whole nation was moving towards the promised land. And they were going towards Moab. And the king from Moab, he asked Balaam, who was known as kind of a prophet. He wasn't a prophet of God, but he was known as a prophet in the area. He asked him to put a curse on Israel so they couldn't come in and defeat them. And he offered him a lot of money. And the whole story, you know, we're not going to go into the whole story, but at the end of the story, Balaam worked it out so that these Israelites would connect with the women of Midia. And then, as they did, they were all engaged in sexual immorality, one great big old party, and then God brought a uh, a plague and killed thousands of them. So Balaam chose to disobey God for a sum of money 
which caused a lot of people to lose their lives. And the point that Peter's making here is that these false teachers, they do things for money. They'll do whatever. They'll bend every rule. They'll do what's just disgusting in order to get money. And they set traps for the unsuspecting. They're like well-conditioned athletes in the area of greed. They have no shame in their immoral conduct. They'll join in on the Lord's Supper with no qualms and then leave to go back to their chasing and carousing and, and uh, tearing down the church, the church uh, testimony. They curse celestial beings arrogantly. It's as if their consciences are seared. And Peter is warning the churches not to be fooled by these types. Now, you may be thinking, the way he's describing these people, how could any Christian be fooled by them? Well, really what's happening is that Peter is describing what these people are like on the inside. That isn't always on the outside. Because they're always trying to fool people and bring people unsuspecting into their, into their traps. So Peter is saying, these are the kind of people that are coming to you and bringing these false doctrines. They don't really care about you. They're just going after things for themselves. They're trying to get rich off of you. They're using you. And they're going to destroy you. On the outside, often, they are winsome. They're smart. They're smooth, likable. People naturally take to them. They know how to win people over to their side. They can be persuasive. They're manipulative. I mean, that's why they're in that business, because they're able to do that kind of stuff. So they come into your church with this strange belief a belief that your church doesn't hold to, a belief that goes against the scriptures, but it happens to be their favorite doctrine, and it happens to be a belief that they can start passing around in order to gain a following. And they begin making friends, you know, little by little, and they try to win people over to their way of thinking, and all of a sudden they've got a group following them. And do you know who gets caught up into their trap? It's the people who aren't built up in their faith. It's the people who don't take Peter's advice in chapter 1 to really live into your faith, to get to know God better, to be in the scriptures, to commune with God. Don't just stay as a child in the faith. Grow up in the faith. Add to your faith goodness, love, perseverance. They go after people who aren't knowledgeable of God in a deeper way. You know, one of the things that has amazed me almost more than anything else in my Christian life is how Christians have fallen for falsehoods that seem so ridiculous. And if you've ever watched on those documentaries of those megalomaniacs, you know, that get a group together and they move off to another place 
It's amazing as you're watching, you're thinking, how could anybody believe that person? But you know, it's not so much the doctrine that they're, they're bringing, but it's the way they capture their hearts. And people end up turning against most everything they have believed growing up for this one person who is who? Well, he says he's Jesus Christ, or he says that he's an angel, or whatever he says. <clears throat> and they fall for it. And they do the, the most ridiculous things because this person tells them to. We don't want to fall for a false teacher, do we? And we don't want to fall for a type of person a false teacher type of person, even if it's outside the church. We don't want to be taken captive by somebody like that. And we don't want our kids to fall for this type of person. So we have to arm ourselves with the truth. We have to turn to the Word of God that has been true forever and is solid and is our standard and leads people to righteousness, and leads people to have a whole new heart. And you know what happens? You have somebody growing up in the church, and they've learned the truths of the church, and I don't know where they are in their spiritual life, but <clears throat> as they begin to hear somebody tell them other things, maybe that person is telling them something of their own life, or maybe that person is a friend and they start walking off into another way. And oftentimes they're captured by their heart because they, the person has captured their heart. And they're not solidly planted in the Word of God. I mean, they know they've heard the truths, they've grown up listening to them, but they, they haven't really stuck their, you know, their flags in the truth of the Word of God no matter what. And if a person comes up to them that's a friend and they're going another way, their hearts are pulled the wrong way. So we have to continue to get to know God better. We have to move closer to God. We have to, we and our children have to have hearts that belong to God and have a good understanding of the scriptures. And you know, today... <clears throat> the things that some of these people who have turned away from God, the things that they're talking about and trying to pull others the same way are things like they don't believe in hell anymore. How could a loving God send people to hell? They see suffering and they think, how could a loving God allow that suffering? And they're really trying to say that there is no God. And they see evil. And some people in the area of sexual genders, they have friends that have gone a different way. And they say it's, it's hateful, you know, to, to disagree with them. And they don't like the fact that the Bible talks about God's judgment in the end. And so all these things are what people are using to try to pull church people away from the Bible. They say the Bible can't be true. 
But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. <clears throat> Here's the thing about it. You know, the Bible gives us plenty of reason, much more reason to follow Christ than to turn away from him. And all you have to do, you might think of something like, well, what about hell? What about suffering children? What about this? And the thing is, you know, there are some answers for those. But we won't have an answer for every single question. But we do have the answer. Jesus Christ came to the earth, became a human being, was beaten, suffered immeasurable, suffered unbelievable, you know, suffering for our sake when he didn't have to. He didn't have to leave heaven. That should seal the whole thing. If God sent his son, whom he loved more than we love anything, if God sent his son, and he came down, and he gave his all for us so that we could be free, you don't have to question God's love. No matter how many answers you can't give, no matter how many questions you can't answer, that's God's love. And so we have to stick with the scriptures. The scriptures answers, answer so many questions. There's going to be some you won't be able to answer. But we have to stick with the scriptures and we have to move closer to God. We have to let the scriptures fill our hearts and minds so that we live off of them, that we, are, we, we live by them. So don't be taken captive. <clears throat> don't let false teachers come and turn you away from what is true and what has changed people's hearts and what has made, you know, horrible people into great people and what shows us the true love of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the truth of the scriptures and how you have preserved them throughout the millennia so that we would have them to live by, to learn from, to know you. The scriptures teach of you. People try to give other descriptions of you, but they're not true. It's the scriptures that are true. And so, Father, we pray that you would capture our hearts and tie them to the scriptures and to you and to Christ and help us to walk in strength and help others to do the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.